Thanks for joining in on the fourth episode of the Beer Wise podcast. This is the podcast that looks at what's going on in the world beer wise. Thanks for joining in on the fourth episode of the Beer Wise Podcast. Our thanks also to this episode's sponsor, 99 Bottles in Sarasota. 99 Bottles are advocates and merchants of extraordinary liquids located on 2nd Street in Sarasota. Today we're talking to Matt and Deb McDonough. Matt and Deb McDonough grew the following of Pyroed Mead Works from home mead makers that shared their wares with a couple of friends to commercial mead makers who were about to open the doors to their own meadery. Through careful donation and sharing, they grew the following of Pyroed Mead Works, and even before they opened the doors to the meadery, they've sold memberships to interested mead fans and mead heads. Then the pandemic hit. I caught up with Matt and Debbie right after they had had a small test opening in the meadery and were in the process of introducing themselves to the neighbors in their small north of Tampa home of Odessa, Florida. To start off the interview, um, I just I'd like to start talking about what how'd you get started in mead? It's such a niche and it's it's so what what made you decide to not beer, not wine, but mead was where you wanted to go. Well, it's a great question and because it is a niche and it's I mean craft beer is a niche and mead I put in with craft beer because it's kind of in that same vein, but it's a niche of a niche. So absolutely um, how do we get into it? Well, so I had a friend, his name's Bob, and he started making mead. And um, I tried his mead. It was really good. And uh, he says to me, oh, it's really easy. You should try it. And so I did. And uh, it was really easy in terms of, I always say it's easy to make a mead. It's very hard to make a good mead. And so once I made it, and it was a mediocre mead, but I was like, this is good, and this is fun, and we can get better at this. And, and one of the reasons why we picked mead and not beer is because we don't use heat. We don't use, you know, okay. any sort of, you know, we're not boiling, and, and there's minimal racking between. It's, it's a simpler process for us. So it translated well to us doing it at home at first. And we, we never intended to make this mm-hmm. a commercial venture at all. Not it was just all. a fun hobby to try and to see if we enjoyed and it was something fun to do together yeah and that was we did it together and we know we put recipes together and and all of a sudden we got pretty good at it and you know for better or worse there's a market out there of people that are you know looking for certain things that they can't get and we happen to be one of them and so we started building a little bit of following and that's that kind of helped us realize that this could be a commercial venture okay and so we said well you know Let's do it. And not knowing at all what we were getting into, by the way, but well, this will be fun. Let's go. And and you did. And, and then, did. so your Instagram says that your first batch was August of 2017. Uh, that is about right. Maybe a little bit earlier, okay. uh, but about that. Yeah. So you jumped, so then you kind of jumped in all the way because you're labeling and bottling. And I mean, you're not writing on there with a Sharpie. You, no. Everything's professionally done, made, and it Correct. evolved, but. We're, yeah. we're kind of perfectionists with yes. everything. So 
you know, when we started making mead, we were perfectionists. We wanted to make sure everything was just right. And, you know, packaging was part of it. And Matt does a great job, you know, in his day job doing some marketing kind of things. So he kind of knew how to do some marketing and, you know, I'm a perfectionist in other areas. Mm. So, you know, between the two of us, we weren't going to, you know, just hand label things. We (laughs) wanted to make sure it looked right and it looked nice and it looked presentable. Well, and I think too, we like, like Debbie says, we really put a lot of attention to detail. I mean, to, to a very microscopic degree. I sure. think, I, I don't know that more than most home brewers do, but certainly mm-hmm. beyond what I knew a lot of folks did. And so when you're that proud of something that comes out mm-hmm. and you're going to share it with somebody, you just wanted it to look good. Sure. So okay. we, we really tried to make it look as good as it could. And, and that was part of the adventure, too, was, you know, looking at how could we make a really cool looking label? You know, <laughs> what kind of cool names could we come up with? And, you know, that was part of part of the fun project. And it's all, and, and that, at that point, it was just for you guys. Yes. It was just within the family. Yes. Yep. And then it, it, yep. at, at what point do you decide that it's it's something you want? I mean, all homegrowers share. That's part of the, the of hobby. Course. But then at what point do you decide that it's it's a commercial venture? Well, <clears throat> I think our first batch was two and a half gallons, uh, which is probably larger than a lot of folks' first batch of mead. I think people start at one gallon with the little milk jugs and stuff. We started at two and a half because our equipment lent, lent itself to that. And it was really good. It was not what I would say commercial quality good, but it was really good. It was mm-hmm. like a dry white wine with peaches. And, okay. you know, people tried it and they're like, oh, it's a little bit drier. And I was kind of going for that big sweet sugar thing, but I didn't get there because I didn't know what I was doing at first. <laughs> but it was good. People did not say, oh, this is terrible. Pour it down the drain. So having all the confidence in the world, I said, well, my next batch is going to be five gallons. And <laughs> I've got this recipe that's just going to kill it. And it was, um, it was pineapple with coconut water. <laughs> Um, and okay. we laugh about it because, no. <laughs> so this is me number two. Right. And I'm like, I just got this down. This is not that hard. I got this. And we fermented it and it smelled like somebody's old gym sock. Yes. The we n- lovingly called it pineapple foot. <laughs> it smelled like a foot. Even opening the fermenter and smelling it, it smelled like a foot. Yeah. And, um, you know. It, it was a well done mead. It just didn't come out right, mm-hmm. and so we're like, you know, it was clear. It like it, it had the right sweetness level. It just stank. <laughs> and, okay. And so we're like, how do we fix this? And we tried to do certain things, like throwing toasted coconut in secondary, and yada, nothing worked. Yep. And we were finally like, would you actually share this with anybody in the world ever? Because he was getting ready to pour it down the drain. And I was mortified because I'm like, we've put all this effort into our second mead and you just want to dump it. And he said, would you ever serve this to anyone ever? And I was like, no, you're right. So he poured it down the drain and I begged him to save just a little bit. So we saved a flip top growler of it and we tucked it away in the fridge. Okay. And a year later, it was phenomenal. So, <laughs> what we learned there was that, one, we do have an adherence to quality that's very important because we certainly let a lot of that go down the train, but patience is a virtue at the same mm-hmm. time. So, okay. um, so that, and that's kind of the learning process. And then the third meet I ever made won a gold medal at a... a Valhalla. Valhalla, a competent national competition. Okay. And I was like, okay, so that, when you say, when did we think that could be a commercial thing? Not that we were like, let's go commercial then, right. but it was okay, I think we're better at this than maybe we're giving ourselves credit for. We're certainly not experts, but 
we're, we're doing we, something right. And we did get a lot of feedback from friends and family and, you know, people were starting to say, wow, you know, when are you going to make your next batch? This is really good. You know, I want more of this. And, you know, it started to snowball and being in the craft beer industry, not industry, but like, you know, community. we were a community. We were very involved with the craft beer community. And we would just share just to get feedback from people. Sure. And more and more feedback was, all right, so when are you guys going commercial? And we really kept saying, oh, no, no, no. This is just, this is for fun. We're just doing this for fun. Mm -hmm. And so many people kept saying, you guys are really good at this. You really should think about doing this professionally. And, you know, it got to the point where we finally said, you know what? We, We need to figure this out. Either we need to stop and be done with this hobby or we need to do this commercially yeah the demand was getting like i'm getting emails from people in the (laughs) netherlands going oh i tried a bottle of your meat and i'm like how did you get a bottle of my meat in the netherlands i have Mm -hmm. no idea yeah Yeah. and how do i get more well you you can't get more because someone shared it with you so that became it's either stop or go we either stop and put the brakes on this and go back to five gallon batches or we say this is something we think we can do okay fortunately you know we're we're, we kind of have good heads on our shoulders and we're thinking like we can make this go on a very small basis and, and I've always said and this is going to come across as if you're listening to this anyone and you laugh <laughs> at this statement feel free to laugh at this statement I have no problem being called a glorified home brewer mm-hmm. to me the magic comes in those smaller batches between yeah. 10 and 50 gallons and if I can continue to experiment on that level as a commercial person mm-hmm. and make it viable and yeah. keep it good yeah yeah I'm fine with that. I don't need to have giant steel tanks. I don't need to have a huge, you know, courtyard where you can, I mean, I don't need all all of the, you know, accoutrements of being a destination brewery. And we have so many of those in Tampa that are great. Mm-hmm. We just want to make good mead. Yeah. And that's what we wanted to make when we were starting our second batch. And that's what we want to make now. Okay. Yeah. And then, and everything, things have changed and evolved since then, at least <laughs> yes. you know, a little, little, little bit. bit. <laughs> uh, a lot bit. <laughs> but, yeah. but so then, so then you decide you're going commercial when, when did you decide to go? Because there's this thread within the mead community. I mean, the mead community is, a, like you said, a niche within craft beer and a For niche sure. within a niche within a niche. For sure. But then the, the types of meads that you make are the, the very fruit forward, are the, the more, not the traditional meads as much as the um, meads that have a, a following within the mead community, but not the ones that are all honey. Right. And, and we've always, one of our, one of our statements has always been, it's, it's, it's all about balance to us. Like okay. We are very, we're very sweet mead. If, if you pull out one of our meads and you happen to have a hydrometer, you spin that hydrometer in that mead, you're going to see that it's sweet, right. but it's not going to be an in your face honey bomb. Like a lot of them are okay. because we are very conscious about balancing the fruit and balancing the acidity and balancing all those things that it's the dance. I call it like, sure. you know, we're, we're getting 90% of the way there. Now, how do we finish it where it needs to be? And every month's different. Um, So I think we took the best parts of what people really are craving and we just put our own spin on them. We're just not trying to be over the top. We're trying to make an experience where you don't want just one ounce. Maybe you want three or six or 12 or whatever it is. But a lot of these meads I've had, uh, they're, they're absolutely delicious, but you have two ounces and you're like... Okay, uh, my diabetes is kicked in. <laughs> uh, it's real sweet and it's delicious, and there are certainly a lot of meads out there that are phenomenal. And, and quite frankly, some of them taste better than ours do. But I don't want more than two ounces. 
because they're just so overly sweet. And we're trying to find that where mm -hmm. we want you coming back for more. I was just going to say, and we tend to warn people, you know, trying samples. It is very sweet because people hear wine because a lot of people don't even know what meat is. And right. when we explain, oh, it's wine made with honey. And then people are thinking, okay, wine. We're like, okay, but be warned. It's pretty sweet. And then people will drink it with the thought of it's going to be very sweet. And they'll really come back with, you know what? It's not as sweet as I thought. Like you guys kind of hyped it as being very sweet. And they're like, I, I get the fruits, I get the spices, I get, you know, I get the honey, but we want to make sure that wine drinkers realize that it's not going to yeah. be very dry wine. It's not a dry pina. It's very different <laughs> from that, but people do appreciate all of the complexities within it. Okay. And then it, that almost sets you up for success even more because then the, the expectation, when you say honey, the expectation with meat is that it's going to taste like honey and you can ferment it down, but it's... Not all year. I haven't. I don't think I've had a dry mead from you. You have not. Okay. Um, it's not. We're not probably ever going to make what we would say is a dry mead. Now we will make some stuff that is drier. We're in Odessa, Florida. And we're just outside of Tampa. We're not that far away, folks. Please come see <laughs> us. But we have a lot of wine drinkers in the area, and mm -hmm. I, I feel like we need to have something that's somewhat of a gateway. Yeah, accessible. Accessible. People will appreciate what we do, and like Deb said, they do when they first try it. But for those who are still a little hesitant. Let's step you up so you understand where there are some levels of sweetness and try to get you to where you can appreciate what we do as a standard. Okay. Okay. And so you have, so then going into opening and, and kind of skipping ahead, because yeah. I want to talk to you about your meads more. Absolutely. And looking at opening, then, are you going to have steps of meat? Are you going to have more traditional, more fruity? I mean, what what is your plan henceforth? So our plan for our opening, and we're hoping to be, I knock on wood, I shouldn't even say this on a recording, but I will. We're trying to do mid-March, hopefully. We're, we're trying to have some very small batch stuff, and we may only have one keg of it. But at least we have something here, because obviously mid-March is a big Big week in Tampa. Right. Um, but one of the things we also want to do that we've done on a very limited basis is to have some lower ABV carbonated meads. Wow. Now, we've done one of them before, and it has been very well received. Very well received. So we know we can do it. Can we do it and have... Uh, my thought on this is and running a business as a, as a business person. I say, if you walk in my, my establishment here, maybe my sweetest meat is not for you. And maybe, you know, whether, whether that is, right. and maybe pear is not for you because you don't like pears, but I've got something light and carbonated that you might like, or I've got a beer on tap that you might like. I don't want you walking out of here, not finding something that you enjoyed in my place. Okay. So we're, we're trying to have a little bit more diversity than a lot, a lot of places that may just come in and all we have is mead. And if you don't like it, you're out of luck. We do want to give some variety, but we do want the focus to be on what we're doing. Okay. And then I, so then are you looking at kegging meats? Are you looking at bottle service? Are you looking at... Kegging. Okay. First, yeah. We're going we're gonna to try to keg. Um, and, and, and we have a lot of friends in the meat industry who are phenomenal. Adam in Chicago, I'm talking to you, brother, um, that have been so helpful to us in giving us guidance on how they are running their operations. And this okay. is what we've learned. This meat community is, by and large, as tight or tighter than the craft beer community. And, and then it's been a, a pleasant surprise to us. Okay. Um, so we've talked to some folks about, you know, how do you operate your tap room? How much do you keg and how much do you sell in bottles? And, mm -hmm. you know, we're trying to find that balance 
which COVID has completely jacked up for all of us. <laughs> sure, you know, as it has with a lot. Yeah. As with everybody. So what is that balance going to be now, and what will it be when things start to get back to normal? We don't really know yet, but uh, but we will have some things on kegs. If okay. you come in, you can get a pour, you know, whether it's by the ounce or three ounces or five ounces or whatever it might be. And once we get going, we do want to have things in bottles that people can, you know, take home and enjoy. Yep. So We know people aren't necessarily comfortable sitting in a bar still, and... I, I, understandably so. We, sure. you know, no judgment. Mm-hmm. But if you come in, you'd like a bottle to go. We would like to have a bottle for you to take to mm-hmm. go. That's. We're still trying to find where that balance is going to be, and and our production is going to dictate what that is for us. Yeah. Sure, sure. So have you done? Have you worked on um, scaling up? Or have you worked up from the homebrew level to? I'm not sure. I haven't seen your tanks. How big you went from? Because I've seen your setup before. Yeah, when you're, yeah. When you're at home. Yep. Uh, so to give you an idea of how we've scaled over the last, we're in our fourth year now. So over the last four years, like I said, we started with two, two and a half, went to five, and then we went to seven, and then we went to 10, and then 15, and then 25. And then the biggest one that we've done before what's in the back room right now was about 50. And that was really just to see how does it scale. Sure. We just don't know how it's going to scale and, and what are the challenges we're going to face with that. And, and we learned a few things, you know, increased fermentation temperatures. And I mean, recipes are kind of the same, but there are some technical challenges. But that kind of prepped us for saying, OK, now we're going to go. I'll go back to the term glorified home brewers. Mm-hmm. We are home brewers with way better toys now. Yes. <laughs> so how do we make best use of those toys? And, you know, and that comes down to temperature control and certain things like that that we understand are now more important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certain levels of acidity are going to change because we're fermenting it at different you know, volumes. And we just got to pay more attention to those types of things. But by and large, a good recipe is a good recipe. You've just got to be able to get it to the finish line. And that's what our goal is here. So, okay. and to answer your question, 100 gallons will be our largest batch. Okay. That, so, are you going to be making at different le- different means at different levels? Yes. You know, we have membership, you know, members, and, you know, we have some very exclusive members that have been with us for... I mean, our memberships were very variably priced, and mm-hmm. you know, those who bought in early and stuck with us through this whole ordeal that you're well aware it's taken us a long time to get here. Yes. You know, we're trying to do some very small batch stuff for them, mm-hmm. and then for our at-large membership, we want to do some larger batches, but still what we commercially would be considered small batch, and then. For those public bottles, we want to have you know, even bigger batches. So we're, we're trying to say, this is our audience for this one, this is our audience for this one, and understanding where where they're going to go before we start making them. Okay. Okay. And so then, so so you're <laughs> going to have, so then you're, and some are in barrels and some yes. are. Yes. Right. So going back, I, I want to, I, I love looking back through your Instagram and looking back <laughs> through your social media because I see at a certain point you decided to play with, in craft beer, they call them adjuncts mm-hmm. in mead. I think they just call them non-traditional ingredients. Non-traditional. Like marshmallows and Other than Skittles standard is how it's defined by the TTB, other than standard wine. And okay. I, that's where we fall in. So. so where did you decide, where did you start, decide you wanted to start experimenting with the non-traditionals? Well, I mean... Uh, we've been in craft beer of 2014, 2015, and, you know, we've watched brewer friends of ours. I mean, Angry Chair, you know, our friends Ryan, or 
over there and we see what they do and that sort of stuff is inspiring to us and now that everybody in meat is kind of throwing you know marshmallows in a meat or whatever but at the time nobody was doing it so we were kind of like let's just get a little creative because we have some flexibility to do so at home we're not bound by a formula limitations as we are right now as we're submitting formulas now we go well, we can't do that we can't do that but back in the day we could so let's just have some fun with it it was always about having fun and yeah we throw some toasted coconut in the mead or marshmallows and that mead sucked when we were done and we poured it down the drain but at least we played with it but what so what what ingredients are off limits now well We've only submitted about a dozen formulas or so, and so far we haven't had one kicked back. But I'll give you an example of a mead that I don't think we can make commercially, although we're going to try. If it gets rejected, it gets rejected. But our our rainbow sky was the mead. We just threw a boatload of Skittles in, and we just let the Skittles be the flavor of the mead. Like, we didn't have oak, and we didn't have vanilla beans, and it was straight up Skittles. And when you drank it, it tasted like Skittles with honey. And it was awesome. Can we do that as a professional? I don't believe we can, but... All you can do is ask, and if the federal government says no, then we say, understood, thank you so much, and we move on. Okay. So, Okay. Well, then, excuse me, do you scale up? Are those batches you anticipate scaling up and to do? Because um, they, they, at least from what I've seen, they were well-received by the club members, your audience, sure. back when you were yep. smaller. Yeah, they, um, and again, it really, and I go back to that glorified homebrewer term, but it's, it's very important for us to retain that quality. So mm-hmm. I don't want to skimp on ingredients. And I don't want to skimp on, you know, the the density of the meads we create and the, the levels of the ingredients and the quality of the ingredients we put in. So scaling up for some of those meads is going to be very difficult. Um, we did, uh, as homebrewers, we did a mead for uh, a local mead lovers group. And it was a black raspberry and barrel-aged meadow foam honey. And it is, it may be the best thing I've ever made in my life. It is phenomenal. Can I do that on a 100-gallon scale? Absolutely not. It's just, it's going to be cost prohibitive. Right. Obtaining the ingredients, again, mm-hmm. the, the barrel-aged meadow foam honey was, you know, <laughs> one of those things that that group obtained that honey and it's not readily available. And it's not the honey itself is not readily available and then when you barrel age it it's even less know, readily less, available. <laughs> less available so but there are certain uh, and moving back a bit one of the things that we've always says we don't want to put out a bottle of mead that's 60 bucks mm-hmm. i mean for us it's very important to fall within for our for our wine drinkers that want something a little less sweet maybe 20 is our 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 low end and for our mead drinkers that want a barrel age something or other maybe it's 45 or or spec more depending on what the ingredients are but i'm not trying to put out 70 and 8 dollar bottles because i don't know that that's necessarily friendly to our customers all that being said if i had a small batch and i know i have some meatheads that would love that bottle it's mm-hmm. not like it's not like i i couldn't move them it's just i don't know that it's something that we want to do on a regular basis gotcha so gotcha. Uh, trying to un, trying to be friendly as consumers coming into this as craft consumers mm-hmm. we have a perspective too where 
man, that hurts. When that bottle hits about 50 bucks, that hurts. Well, and then and then you, you think about, too, the time frame you're thinking of opening is when there are a lot of breweries who are releasing the top-tier Correct. bottles, and so people save all year. Yes, <laughs> they for, do. For well, week. and with COVID, too, there are a lot of people who aren't financially doing as well as mm-hmm. they were perhaps a year ago True. or 18 months ago, and we're not... Mead costs what it costs to make. Mm-hmm. It's not... It is a luxury item. Mm-hmm. We are aware that it's a luxury item, and we do our best to make a luxury product that you will enjoy as if it were so. But I'm not trying to price anyone out of the market at the same time. You know, I want you to try our product. And even if you can come in and I'll do an ounce pour for you for a couple bucks, whatever it is, I want you to enjoy our product. So how does that factor in? That's 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 a great point and a good segue. So especially right now, and not trying to harp on the pandemic too much, mm-hmm. but with me being a luxury item, how do you... How do you take that into account when you're deciding what you're going to have on tap at opening versus what you're going to put in bottles and not and with all of those philosophies which i think are, are fantastic but then how do you with mead being mead mm-hmm. and honey not getting cheaper mm-hmm. or sure. more available or and vanilla beans and all of these ingredients sure. that people love they keep ticking up on the inflation index well i mean it is absolutely a balancing act, mm-hmm. uh, and it always will be. It always will be. Um, we're very fortunate to have some local beekeepers that provide us. And, and just to go on the record, we, pr- we try to get at least 80% of our honey from local beekeepers. Sometimes we do have to go out of market to get certain, you local, know. Be- local being... Tampa? Lo- local being Tampa, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, let's let's draw a circle around Tampa being Polk County through Hernando Citrus, mm-hmm. Sarasota, like the Tampa Bay area. Um, so we try to deal exclusively with local. Now, we are absolutely small scale. So our, mm-hmm. our beekeeper friends give us great deals on things, but honey still costs what it costs. Mm-hmm. And we're not buying barrels full of honey. <laughs> we're not there yet. So sure. mead will cost what it costs. And understanding that, going back to the pandemic, is you do want to have something a little bit more budget friendly on tap. And not because it's a bad product and not because it's a cheap product, but maybe because it's a gateway product. And maybe, oh, I don't like thick wines or I don't like dry wines, but, oh, I, I mean, I, I, forgive me, Lord, for saying this, but, oh, I like, you know, Bud Light Seltzer or whatever. And, sure. well, I don't have a Bud Light Seltzer, but I've got something light and carbonated that mm-hmm. may be in that same vein you may enjoy. And that may get you into a different area of what we offer. I'm fine with that. So that there's there's always a tier, an entry tier, mm-hmm. as well yes. as that you that you can then yeah. expand upon. And even if you go to our still meads, which will be you know relatively expensive, uh, those are the ones that are the big fruited, delicious, huge fruit bombs. Offering them at a price point where you can at least get somebody to try it, and then go, I really like that. Now I want a bigger pour of it. And odds are they're never going to buy the tiniest pour ever again. They're going to be like, I want the three ounce or the mm-hmm. five ounce or whatever. But you've got to get people in the door. You've got to get. And, and we're in a market that is um, we're just outside of Tampa. I, mean, I, I know you're coming from North Florida, but we're 15 minutes from Tampa International Airport. We're not far outside the city, but we are also what I would consider a rural community. Mm-hmm. It slows down once you get north of Ehrlich. Mm-hmm. And so we've got a, a different clientele 
in our local vicinity that maybe needs to be exposed to this product a bit more than they have been. Okay. So we've got to be acknowledging that, knowing our mead friends will come from Tampa or will come when they're here at Beer Week, they'll come see us. We love you guys. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> but our locals may be a little, you know, there might be a little trepidation there to come in and we don't know what they're offering. And uh, you know, we saw our sign on our window. I don't know if you saw, got a chance to read that, but it's our introduction to mm-hmm. who we are and who mead is, what mead is and trying to start to and I think too we're trying to to meet a need in this community too that you know we we spent a lot of time with the fine details of even the tasting room and we wanted to make sure that it was a place where if you want to go on a date with your husband or wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or that it's a place where you can go and relax and it's a little bit upscale. It's a little bit nicer place. And there's not a lot of places that you can go. There's a lot of, you know, sports bars that you can go to and, you know, hang out restaurants, but not like, I don't want to say a wine bar, but it's got a little bit more of an upscale feel. Upscale casual. And that's what we're trying to, to, to present to the community that, you know, it's a little bit nicer place that if you want to go on a date and you want to dress up a little bit, that it's a nicer place to go. Um, but if you want to come in in jorts and a tank top, absolutely, you are are still welcome. Please come drink some meat. Yes, absolutely. And we don't want to be pretentious at all, you know, but we do want people to feel that, oh, there is a nice place that we can go and it's. Yeah. It's trying to understand your market, yes. which is a little bit different than Tampa Heights and Seminole Heights and, you know, even Carrollwood. Right. This is a different market than Carrollwood even. And Carrollwood is considered suburbia. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's chain restaurants for miles and we love our mom and pops out there, but it's, it's known for its chains. Mm-hmm. This is even a little more yeah. relaxed and rural. So. so then do you see it as a challenge bringing mead to the rural community? I mean, you picked... Yeah, because, I mean, you picked where you were going to... We did. We did. And and we picked this because, one, we have... We have a friend up the road, uh, Christian and Jill at Brew Growler, have been supportive of us for years and years. And it's one of the best craft beer bars in Florida. And if you've not been there, we invite you to go visit them and support them because it's phenomenal. They exclusively focus on Florida beers. You walk in and you feel like you're at Cheers. Yes. (laughs) They saw an opportunity for a market that was underserved in this area. And they have done very, very, very well. And quite frankly, if they had not done well, I don't know that we would be where we are now. Mm -hmm. But they have certainly proven that there is a market for a little off the beaten path. You know, this is, they're serving beers from, you know, whether civil society and ology and... 610. Uh, 610 and Angry Chair and Ellipsis and all of these breweries that are kind of hard to find here in Odessa, Florida, just north of Tampa. <laughs> I keep saying that. Yeah. I, no, it's, you have to. It's yes. really not. I mean, it, it's not we are literally a, a thousand feet north of the city line. Yeah. I mean, it's very close. Um, but they've proven that this community wants mm-hmm. different options than what they've had previously. Yeah. And we have complete faith in our product, and we know we make a good product, and we have a very, uh, you know, loyal and, and dedicated member base. Thank you. Thank you. That mm-hmm. will support us, but there's certainly an opportunity for growth here, we feel, and that's why we picked this place. 
Okay. And, and time will tell if we made the right decision, but I feel like we did. We, we've had very positive feedback since we've mm -hmm. been here. Well, and it's not, and the beauty of being as close as you are, you're close enough, yet you're not immersed in everything. Yes. So you're, you, it's, it's a jaunt, but it's mm -hmm. not, not a long one. It right. is. I mean, it's the equivalent of, it's not even as far as driving from Tampa to Brandon. Mm -hmm. It's closer than driving from Tampa to Brandon. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's if you're if you're sitting in Seminole Heights, mm -hmm. we are at, we are closer than Brandon is. There are there are there are. It's not as you think Odessa, and you're like, man, that is the sticks. I mean, and we thought that too. Odessa is mm -hmm. the sticks, and we drove it. It's not, I can drive to St. Petersburg and be at Hawthorne Bottle Shop in 40 minutes from, from here. Mm -hmm. That's not that far. Yeah. It was 25 minutes when I lived in Seminole Heights. So it's okay. really not that mm -hmm. much more of a of a shot, right. and it's it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a dice roll to a degree. Yeah, but I'm very comfortable here. Well, and I think the nice thing is too with Brew Growler being literally a stone's throw down the street from us. It, We've talked about making this kind of the next craft destination where you can go to brew, you can get some Florida beers, you can come here, you can get some other beers on tap and mead and, you know, kind of trying to be that draw up to this area. Sure. I mean, we've got in our beer cooler, we've got other half and ology and I don't there's only one place in Florida or in Tampa Bay that I know that has other half right now, and it's Hawthorne because they're amazing. Certainly not up in Northwest Hillsborough County. It's a hard find up here, sure. but it's a great beer, and we want to have those kind of top-notch offerings, even if they're not ours. Okay. We want to be, ology is, you know, you're what, great where, people. how, yeah. great people and fantastic mm -hmm. beer. So that's kind of where we want that level to be at. Okay. And uh, it's not something that's offered up here. So how do you differentiate, differentiate yourself in the market? Kind of what we're trying to do. As frustrating as sometimes the process has been for us. And it has been. We feel it's really important to make sure the members understand what's going on. Why aren't we open? And, you know, sometimes it's issues with the county and sometimes it's, you know, yeah. issues it's with the primar contractor. Primarily or, issues with the county. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I love Hillsborough County and we've had some amazing folks at Hillsborough yes. County that we've dealt with. I mean, one person in particular, yes. Israel, has just been yes. the best. But the wheels turn very slowly and we've had situations where there were code changes that they meet once a month and you know we present and they go that sounds great we'll meet again next month and we'll decide if that's something we're going to go forward with and we wait another month and we wait another month yeah. oh and then we like that but we want to change this one thing okay great we'll vote on that next month oh but it's thanksgiving next month so we won't vote on that till december those are the types of things yes. that I don't think members or the public see that really do kind of slow things down. And gotcha. um, and I will say this, the county commissioners, by and large, yes, when we have been, been in front of them, have been super supportive, mm -hmm. um, excited about what we're trying to do and excited about us venturing into a new area because what's good for business in Hillsborough is good for everybody in Hillsboro. Mm -hmm. And they've been supportive. But as Deb said, the wheels turn <laughs> very, very, as if they were slogged down in honey. That's how slow they turn. Okay. Yeah. But, so, but now, you're, now you're here and you're looking at opening and then, 
and then quarantine hit, and then COVID hit, and then you were able to still you, you were st- able, still able to maintain. We're in a a meadery that's pretty close to being able to open. Mm, we're a and, couple weeks away. Okay, yeah. Yeah. and then so how do you decide then? What changes were? Was anything lost along the way? Was anything have to fall by the wayside because of COVID? Or? So I mean. Just to give you an example, our occupancy is 47 in this location. I mean, we have 26 seats in here, and um, you know that's slightly more than half. And I don't know that we're going to put any more seats in here, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with having half occupancy permanently if that's what it takes. Um, I don't know that that's going to hurt our bottom line as much as having a packed house full of people that may or may not wear masks. And we are certainly we have a sign on the door that says, "Please wear your mask." But we now individuals are so we, we want people to be safe when they come in here and if that means we cut back on the number of seats great and That's, to feel comfortable and here. to feel comfortable um so covid has probably affected us in that way and that we've voluntarily reduced our occupancy and we'll keep it there until we feel comfortable going back to whatever the full occupancy will be in the future. We were also very fortunate to have a friendly landlord who, when COVID hit, kind of understood that we had been through the ringer with certain county things, as we mentioned, and they were um, very amenable to giving us some leeway and some breaks to, um, they believed in us here Mm -hmm. and we love the space and we both wanted us to be here. So they were willing to go, okay, like we understand things are hard, so we'll give you a break and you just keep us posted as to where you are and we have. Um, So COVID's impacted us to a degree. I always say, had we been open before COVID hit, it may have been worse than yes. not being open because we weren't on the hook for so many things yet. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So we were able to maintain a low overhead through COVID and get where we are now, where our overhead is much more at this point. So business-wise, it was probably better it hit when it did. If it would have hit in April or May, we probably would have been impacted more by it, as a lot of breweries were, and wow. they had to pivot. So, yeah. I mean, it is... <laughs> I hate to say it was fortuitous for us when it hit because it's not. It's it's a terrible thing. But it didn't hurt us as much as it could have had we been able to be down the road a little bit more. Okay. So then you are now where you would have been months and months ago. Mm -hmm. Ten months ago. Yes. (laughs) So then what's... Where do you see it when you open? Where do you see it going in the future? Well, it's it's a good question. We certainly... Maintaining quality is very important to mm-hmm. us, and you're 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 balancing something where I don't want to run out of mead. <laughs> people come up here because we we're a little bit of a shot from Tampa. Like I said, we're 15 sure. minutes north of the airport, and you come up here and oh, sorry, we're out of mead. So we want to produce enough to be able to, you know, have stuff here to be able to grow the business locally. Mm-hmm. But we're also, our members mean the world to us, and we want to be able to give our members everything that we promised them. Sure. So where is that balance going to be? And that balance will shift over the next few months as, as COVID shifts and foot traffic increases or decreases. And um, it's, it's, it's a hard balance, I think, to make. I would rather err on the side of 
making a little too much, but not a lot too much. <laughs> um, well, and that's that's the challenge is figuring everything out on the fly. Right, mm-hmm. right. Because I don't know what too much is right now. <laughs> I um, right, right. And it's not like you can make meat overnight. Right. Correct. No, it's, it's a process. I'm projecting yes. th- four months down the road saying, I think this will be great. But, you know, what happens if some other new pandemic comes and hits and... I'm just saying yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You, you just don't know. I mean, look, I'm 40, in my late 40s, I've never seen anything like COVID. So mm-hmm. I can't say that I know what will happen next year or next season. Right. We just don't know anymore. And, and you have to project meats mm-hmm. and Correct. ingredients and everything right. else. Correct. When you say, what are we looking ahead at? That's the COVID dynamic mm-hmm. that I'm not sure we know exactly what that will be. But... Our, our, our common sense will tell us what that will be when it's time, and our members and customers will tell us what that is, and, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll make it work. Um, okay. I, I'm fully confident we can find a solution. Sure. We find a lot of solutions in this place so far. <laughs> right. this, this seems like a little one. Yeah. So. True, true, so. And, and nobody can predict anything. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2020 taught us that, Correct. for sure. Um, where, can we, where can we learn more about Pyroad? Where can we follow you guys in your progress and learn about the opening? So we have a website, uh, pyroad.com. P-Y-E. Um, P-Y-E, that's, yep, thank you. P-Y-E-R-O-A-D.com. We have Instagram and Facebook. Um, our Twitter presence isn't quite where it needs to be yet, but we're, we're looking at getting into Twitter. I'm, I'm a huge Twitter fan personally. Okay. Just haven't brought the business there yet. Gotcha. We don't post quite as much as we're going to. So if you, if it's been a few days since you've seen a post, know that Deb and I are here working hard yes. <laughs> every day to make this. I was here 21 hours on last Wednesday. Yeah. 1.30 at night. <laughs> Four in the morning to 1.30 at night. It was a, mm-hmm. it was an, you know, ass kicking of the day. A labor <laughs> of love. It was a labor. Yeah, that's a good way to say yes. it. It kicked my ass, but you know, we, we are doing our best to get yes. things ready out. to go. Yeah. So where people can try it and understand and hopefully understand why we're, you know, thought of in the way we are and, and we don't want to disappoint those folks. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, what is that commercial? You know, reputations are earned, not given. And I don't know what it is. Sounds it's like, like BMW. Well, it might be BMW. I think it is BMW. You're right. It's yes. certified. Yes. Uh, it's that one. She loves yes. that commercial. But I feel like we've spent a lot of years trying to build a reputation yeah. that we've not yet failed to live up to. Mm-hmm. I think we've not yet failed to live up to, okay. and, and it's very important to us that what we're doing in the back room here lives up to that reputation. And if that's three months or six months or nine months, it is what it is. It's going to take as long as it takes, mm-hmm. but we don't want you to walk away disappointed. So follow us. We're going to post some pictures. We're going to, um, we're, we're actually starting a batch this evening. <laughs> Our Sorry s- to keep you from that. No, yeah. no, no. It's okay. It's, it's, we'll be here till one thirty in the morning, but I'm not blaming you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> nice. I, I kid, I kid. Um, well, we made our first batch uh, last week, our first big commercial batch. We've got a lot of small batches we've done, but our big commercial batch. And for us, it's learning how to work in this space as well, where this isn't home. This isn't the kitchen. This isn't the, you know, the back room. This is mm-hmm. a professional place. Sure. And how do we work efficiently in this space? And then it's part of learning how to be that glorified home brewer is how do we work efficiently in this area 
and make that good mead that people are accustomed to. So what was that first batch? The first one? If you don't mind disclosing. It's it's three giant dark fruits with vanilla. Okay. And I don't want to, like, kind of give it away. (laughs) That's fine. But we want to hit the market, per se. We're not going to be in distribution, by the way. The only place you'll be able to get it is here or through the memberships, which are sold out as of right now. But we want to come with something that people go, this is what I waited for. This was worth the wait. Awesome. And it means a lot to our members that our members think that to us. Because if I came out with something and our members went, meh, I would feel terrible. Yes. And we ain't doing that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Which is the, the untapped review that everybody dreads reading. Meh. Right. Meh. No, we no. don't want that. I don't want that. I want people to go, damn, this is why I stuck around for 15 months or yep. 18 months or whatever it's going to be by the time that first bottle hits. And I think our goal is, too, that we will always strive for that. We, yes. we will always strive for, wow, that was better than the last thing I had from Pyroad. Like, our goal is to always improve, to always get better. Yep. You know, handcrafted, balanced, quality, those mm-hmm. are the words that we think when we're making a batch of mead. Yeah. The, the one thing I will say is I, I know... Babe Ruth hit a foul ball every once in a while. They weren't all 500-foot home runs. Sure. If we hit a foul ball, I want it to be because we shot for the fences mm-hmm. and we just missed. I don't want it to be something like, you should have nailed this and you just sucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were trying to get on base. We weren't trying uh, right, to run. Okay. Right. I mean, I'm, That's not I'm, what you're going I'm trying to go for the fences. Mm-hmm. I want to hit something out of the park. And maybe, you know, I mean, I, I can think of one that we did, a uh, prickly pear with a little bit of lime and vanilla. It's a very good mead, but it's not exactly what we were shooting for. Okay. And to me, that's a foul ball. It's not exactly. I would still share that with people today because I think it's very good. But it wasn't the into the 35th row of the bleacher shot that we were trying to hit. Gotcha. So um, if we do hit a foul ball, I want it to be because we were trying. We were shooting for the stars. and yeah. Very good. Thank you very much, Matt. Debbie, I appreciate thank you. your time. Mark, thank um, you, man. Yeah. That was Matt and Debbie McDonough of Pyroad Meadworks. My thanks to Matt and Debbie for their time and their hospitality and showing me around the meadery. My thanks also to this episode's sponsor, 99 Bottles. 99 Bottles in Sarasota, merchants and advocates of extraordinary liquids located on 2nd Street. Join us next time on the Beer Wise Podcast where we can again talk about all things beer wise. Beer Wise.